And it was a, an incredible eye-opener for us, the amount of viruses that in the air that we found from intestinal diseases. And that's no new information. We know that in, in the human side, uh, um, uh, noroviruses or viruses, um, Ebola virus, uh, it is also present from gastrointestinal, you know, um, um, evacuation like on toilets or so they can found it in the air and in our case we were able to find large quantities of virus and with the experiments that we did with PED and also with PED in the field we were able to find large quantities of, of um, PED virus in the air even without clinical signs. Hello welcome to Meet the Expert the podcast series on swine health management in practice Brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. My name is Peter Best. With me for this episode to Meet the Expert is international swine veterinary consultant, Dr. Carmen Alonso from Spain. Dr. Alonso, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for the invitation. Today we're going to be talking about a particular area of your expertise, which is the potential for swine viruses and other pathogens to be distributed or transmitted through the air between pig farms and between different sections of the same farm. Dr. Alonso, you studied this subject. Uh, do you think uh, you're the expert here? How do you rate the importance of airborne transmission in terms of how pig pathogens are spread? Um, well, Peter, airborne route is, is not the main mode of disease transmission. Let's say that uh, in this case, on this, for the swine industry. And, and I base my answer due to the quantity of viruses that gets uh, emitted, right, when, when aerosolized compared to the amount of virus that that it gets uh, 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 transmitted when when uh, when we have a direct contact animal to animal so it's not the main mode of transmission however it is a very important one depending on the specific diseases or uh, on a, on a specific epidemiological scenarios so uh, okay and how good is our knowledge these days is it do we have the knowledge we need to give the advice to farms veterinarians uh, are uh, in well trained on on um, explaining producers on on how disease is transmitted. Uh, however, sometimes we have a challenge when we try to demonstrate that, and with that, uh, taking to it, it comes into a play. Uh, do we have the right equipment? Are we doing the testing of the air in the right conditions? And I, I'm telling you that because that was uh, the focus of my PhD, and I really suffer, and I, I and I learn. It was a incredible course of learning so this was what university of minnesota wasn't it your your phd correct on veterinary population medicine and uh you did this study then on uh, airborne transmission of swine viruses uh, uh, for for that work didn't you uh so uh, could you tell me something about what how did you study airborne transmission what were the things you felt still needed to be found so, um, so for, uh, from a PhD uh, working with Dr. Monsetore Morel, well, we demonstrated how viruses of, from farms um, were emitted, uh, like like uh, from farms that were experiencing outbreaks. So we demonstrated how those viruses were getting aerosolized, and we were able to find them in there. And with that, 
we work on finding the right equipment, also uh, working on the right conditions, etc. So, um, and and we not only work with uh, uh, respiratory viruses. That's something sometimes uh, we needed to explain that we work with intestinal viruses, viruses that uh, uh, were more systemic, uh, such as PERS virus, and. Um, and also, uh, we explain how viruses get aerosolized because we, uh, so we didn't really work on transmission. We work on finding viruses in the air and expecting that uh, the the movement of those viruses, the, the arrival of those viruses to neighboring farms, uh, that was kind of like the second step from my PhD because we work on mathematical models utilizing particle size, different uh, variables that we record during the studies. Now, you, you mentioned equipment that you were going to test out, and you mentioned particle size. Is that the equipment for measuring the particle sizes that you had to to uh, investigate first? Uh, yes. First of all, we needed to be sure that, the, well, that we have the right equipment and that when we were finding a negative example or, or a positive one, we, we needed to be sure what kind of particles we were capturing, where, where other particles we were missing. To understand what's present in the air, uh, this, there are standard uh, sampling uh, pieces of equipment available, uh, uh, but some of them are not catching the smaller sizes. Uh, would that be true? Or, or Correct. Did study anyway. Yeah. Correct. So we we do we uh, first of all we work on um, standardized what kind of particles those were air samplers were capturing. Um, as well as uh, understanding airflow capabilities within a specific room uh, um, due to volume, right? Because you're just sampling, uh, you have uh, turnovers of the air, sometimes very high. You're just capturing a little bit of air. You need to understand what's the meaning of your results yeah, when sure. you get an air sample. Okay. Now, uh, how do you do this? So, uh, you know, if I went into a farm and you said to me, Peter, go and sample some particles, I would presumably go to a ledge and f try to find a layer of dust or whatever it was or but i'm sure that's not the most scientific way to do it what what are you talking about when you say collecting and uh, capturing samples of particles so uh, well, sorry but what you were you saying was not was not wrong like because we what we find uh, as an environmental sampling is uh, is particles that have been aerosolized and they've been settled so you are not wrong uh, but when it, when I say uh, that we were collecting our sample and capturing samples from the air, uh, what we do is we uh, capture whatever is in the air and we retain it in, with, with different uh, mechanisms. Sometimes it could be uh, washed within a fluid, and what we do is sampling that liquid. Uh, for PCR, sometimes we filter the air and then we capture whatever particles are in the um, are in the air on different type of filters. Sometimes we impinge, right? We get whatever uh, particles we found in the air and then we kind of like inject those on 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 a type of uh, device that will allow us to to capture uh, whatever is in the air. So uh, there are different types of air sampling and we we just need to understand them and see um, what the meaning of the other results or the meaning of, of what we are sampling. Do, do you mean those sampling at a point of time, so you get a distribution of particle sizes and whatever, or are you uh, are you sampling over a period of time? 
So, so you you have a representation of a day or whatever it is. Uh, it's depending on the device. Um, some uh, we normally uh, sample for a period of time, and we consider the amount of air that we've been um, testing, uh, and with that, uh, and, and also the concentration of that virus in the air. And and with that result, we can refer to the concentration of airborne particles per per cubic meter of air. Sometimes uh, we can go longer periods of time depending on the device. Uh, sometimes we go shorter periods of time, but at the end we refer to volume of air. I'm with you. And you, you talked about small and large particles. Could you give me some size range of the sort of sizes that you were encountering in your study? How small, how big? So we, we work with uh, uh, particles that are uh, representative for uh, creating an, infect an infection within the respiratory um, with the respiratory tract, and those are uh, uh, lower than 10 microns. And, and this is uh, always uh, controversial because what's what's a droplet? What's a truly airborne particle? And um, we sometimes uh, from in the, in the scientific um, um, research um literature uh, we talk about the 0 0.5 0 0.5 micron cut off so anything lower than 0 0.5 it could be considered a uh, truly airborne uh, sometimes uh, consider a name as well as droplet nuclei so very small particles that can remain airborne for longer periods of time but anything larger than 0 0.5 sometimes referred to the 10 microns uh, it's what we consider droplet and those droplets are larger particles made from a lot of virus so they are more infectious they have higher potential to uh, transmit the disease or to infect other animals and they also just they are uh, an environment environmental contaminant because they they settle close to where they get emitted so from the animal that is infectious i am with now to state the obvious uh, as a non-scientist as i uh, i'm certainly no scientist your interest in particles was as vehicles or vectors of viruses in your study, that that would be right, wouldn't it? You, the the distribution or transmission of viruses. I mean, th these viruses don't fly by themselves. They have to find something to carry them, and this is what these particles are doing. And these particles are uh, being created within a, let's say, a, a, a barn or in, in a room of a of a house and then being expelled out of that room in some way so that it can carry the uh, viruses to another section of that population or even another population. That Would that be right? That's why you're interested in these. Uh, would that be, therefore, um, much more important you, for respiratory viruses and for enteric viruses? I've always thought of airborne transmission as being you know, something for the respiratory viruses. Correct. And 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 it was a, an incredible eye-opener for us, the amount of viruses that in the air that we found from intestinal diseases. And that's no new information. We know that in, in the human side, uh, um, uh, noroviruses or viruses, um, Ebola virus uh, it is also present from gastrointestinal, you know, um, um, evacuation like on toilets or so they can pound it in the air and in our case we were able to find large quantities of virus and with the experiments that we did with PED and also with PED in the field 
we were able to find large quantities of, of um, PD virus in the air, even without clinical signs. Good so so uh, yeah, the, that was not expected then. I mean, this is porcine epidemic diarrhea. Correct. Epidemic. Sorry, yes. Uh, no, no, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you were finding it almost everywhere, even where there was no evidence of pigs being sick. Well, we knew that animals were positive. They were coming from a positive source, but they were not. They were not clinical signs at uh, those nurseries, and uh, we found PD virus in the air in large quantities as well. Would that be a, a function of the characteristic, the physical characteristics of the PD virus, uh, would make it so ubiquitous in this way? I mean, why would it be so widely distributed like that? Oh, um, it doesn't have to be with the virus because virus, they, they behave as particles and particles behave the same way, no matter the nature of the particle. But but we know that PED gets excreted in large quantities when animals are, are positive and they're just, they're just, they contaminate the environment. They, we, we found them in large quantities um, everywhere, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Do do they like big particles or small particles, or they don't care? They're, any particle could be have a PED virus on it. In, in the case of uh, PEDB, uh, we found them in large quantities in all particle sizes, and uh, and and that that was the key for our for our studies is that understanding that we know that. Now, PD virus is able to transmit not only on droplets by contaminating the environment and moving tools from the uh, within the farm or or just stepping in and out the facility, but also uh, is able to get transmitted uh, longer distance because we can find it in a very small particles. So those are the ones that get um, uh, exhausted on from the farm and get transmitted long distances. One assumes from the vent uh, ventilation system of the farm normally would exhaust the air out uh, with these small particles, and then they go pr presumably windborne quite mm -hmm. quite some distance. Then. Correct. Now, okay, that's PED. How were the other viruses, the respiratory? And by the way, which viruses did you say the respiratory ones you studied were? P we, PERS, PERS was one? Uh, PERS, I consider PERS as a more systemic virus uh, with a component of respiratory virus, but also influenza, influenza, influenza virus. IAB, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and was their behavior in terms of the, the particle size any different to that of PED? So, uh, yeah, there was a big difference. We didn't find that amount of virus in the air. So uh, for BD, we found large, large quantities. Uh, that wasn't the case for influenza and PERS. That was, that was the, the biggest difference, right? Um, but also uh, the, the type of particles that these other viruses got associated. So we found that um, we found higher quantities of virus detected in larger particles. And with larger particles, we uh, we said uh, more than 3.3 microns, so not very large, but larger than um, 0.3. That were the smallest. But in the case of PERS virus, we found uh, a more PERS uh, the the the, uh, the more quantity of PERS associated to the larger particles. Those were uh, uh, particles greater than nine microns. I see. So by definition, fewer PERS. Part of virus on smaller particles that went further distances. Correct. So it's a combination like uh, uh, 
smaller particles are made of a small quantity of viruses, and but those are the ones that are able to um, um, be transported uh, longer distance. Uh, on the other side, larger particles are are made of larger quantities of viruses that get settled closer, right? At the same time, they are more um, infectious. Yeah. For your comparison, how did you manage to uh, take away the variabilities, for example, the state of the stage of infection of the animals uh, during an outbreak or the, you know, the amount of an animals in the airspace and so on? Could you equalize these sort of things so that you were comparing like with like? Uh, you mean first with influenza for something? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Right. So uh, with influenza, we found that the, that the that the amount of virus in the air was within the, the five days of the infection. And uh, we understand that how influenza behaves. It also, we, we're seeing that now analyzing the cough, right, of those animals. And, 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 and we are able to find influenza within the first seven days. On the other hand, with PERS, we found it up to uh, uh, longer periods of time. So we were able to find PERS uh, I believe it was uh, more than 18 days, so lower quantities of first, but this, but and and that makes sense because of the type, the way the virus behaves in the animal is a systemic virus. It gets uh, uh, distributed differently. It's not a truly respiratory where the animal gets the right to excrete the virus from the upper respiratory tract. So yes, yes, it's not so much a coughing uh, effect. As correct. Such. Yes. Yes. yes Specifically no for um, in this case was uh, these numbers and those values are for uh, uh, research that we do on on, on challenges uh, under uh, control conditions. Um, we uh, we we perform the same in in the field, and it, it was it was. Challenge more challenge to find the person there in the field, just because um, the quantity of virus that get excreted is lower than uh, compared to, um, in this case, influenza or of course BD. So we're talking about uh, Dr. Alonso. You're talking about your, your measurements, and uh, when you went to see how far the distances. Well, these uh, particles were traveling. Uh, how far did you start your investigation? How far from the outbreak herd did you start looking? Um, uh, that's a good question. That we, we that will be depending depending on the virus because we know the quantity of virus that gets excreted from an outbreak. Uh, and a specific uh, example we had on, on two uh, different viruses that, that was our experiments, uh, our research on highly pathogenic avian influenza, uh, sorry, highly pathogenic avian influenza, correct, on poultry. Uh, we were able to find just genetic material one kilometer away from the farm, and we matched that with the outbreak. Uh, so uh, we it was incredible the amount of virus of highly pathogenic avian influenza that was being um, it's created, right? So we found it at one kilometer. Uh, a very similar situation was with PED. We found PED uh, uh, several miles away from the facility, and and um, uh, but in this case was uh, was not infectious. Again, it was just um, uh, genetic material. 
Well, we um, and and those are the the, the two main uh, characteristics. So, depending on the type of virus, we know how far we can go. We also consider time of the day, because uh, um, uh, UV light will affect survivability of the virus as well as wind direction. Um, so, those are the those yeah. are one of the different yeah, aspects. The, the, these particles they've traveled on would the particles themselves have had any impact on the viability of the virus at, at the at distance? Would uh, yeah, of course, like the farthest, uh, smaller particles are the ones that are able to travel longer distances. But at the same time, uh, if the, the, the humidity is not the right one and, or is or, or is, uh, is affected by the UV light, they get they get inactivated. So that's why um, it is it is pretty difficult to really find a particle in the air sample at longer distance that um, is infectious. Um, yeah, but in certainly in your work, you have to choose your time of day. So UV light, as you say, and you presumably started your investigation at the furthest point from the farmer and worked backwards with with your investigation to uh, to take samples of, of that point. So you were measuring very small particles at that stage, weren't you? Far from far from the the farm. Correct. We started in the, in, the, in the most difficult scenario on, on the right moment of the day. We start very, very early on the sunrise. Well, we know that uh, um, humidity is right, uh, temperature is low, wind, wind um, spin is on the way that we are taking samples. We create a barrier of our samplers to try to capture as much uh, particles getting emitted from the farm. There, there are many components of, of those uh, research projects that they make them so, that they make the, them great. Yes. Now, the, the the impression I'm getting, Dr. Alonso, is, you know, the smaller particles, they go further. They've got a, what shall we say, a smaller viral load than than the large particles, but they that these could still be infectious at a certain point. Uh, but presumably the larger particles, they present in many ways a, a greater transmission risk, but they don't go so far. Would that be correct. would that be correct? Yeah, or and that's and that's because uh, particles are surrounded by them by material and also by other viruses that protect their infectivity. So not only quantity, but also the conditions of those larger particles is better to preserve uh, their infectious capability. But those large particles don't go very far. Correct. Those are the ones that settle closer to what they get in, emitted. Well, on, they they just exit the building and then settle on a surface of some sort. Or, or just settle around the animal if, if, if the airflow is not as high to pull them out of the facility. But depending on the situation of time of the day, we know that fans, they run... Uh, as 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 much as they can to remove air and to um, uh, and to create better air quality within the room. So those are the moments that they're really pulling a lot of particles out of the facility. Yeah, but but the larger ones, uh, how far do they go? They they just go a short distance from the exhaust of the fan, or, or mm -hmm. so that you know they might reach a feed bin or something, but. but or are there, can they go further than that? I mean, are there ways they go further? They, they settle close to where, like, uh, we believe one meter, two meter, uh, but it will, it will be depending on the wind that is blowing at that time or... And the uh, direction uh, of the exhaust Direction, fan. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Uh, also yeah. Um, 
they can go very far if you have a truck just park right there and you move the truck as far as you want you know that those large particles can go very far if Oh, the, the, tr- the, the truck takes the large particles and away and, and far away. From, yeah, 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 yeah. We we yeah. we have experiences on that on on um on distribution of of fomites far away from where they get. Well, there was an outbreak, and you know, may who knows so, if it was just but, a well, feed feed trucks and but you started making me think about cars because you know we. Our cars, are, whether we're visitors or farm workers or whatever, I mean, could they be the unintentional means of transmission because they are parked in the wrong place near the exhaust fan or whatever it is and then carry the virus on the particle a longer distance? Can, can cars do that? Yes, and and we have sample and, and we have experiences of sampling surfaces of cars and handles of the car and uh, and we know that veterinarians and anybody that visits farms they it is a common practice to shower out right so we do all the effort of remain of of keeping everything that is from the farm in the farm and putting our own clothes and getting our booties and get cleaning our car but depending on where we, we park the car or or you know on, on, a, on a barn that is having experiencing an, a serious outbreak and fans are blowing against your vehicle and we know that you can just be carrying particles to different places without knowing and and without doing it intentionally. So just simply opening your car door could undo all the work of showering out and everything. You can just bring the virus in and handle and put it in your hand. So yes, good. Now, what can we do, please, uh, from your study? What does it tell us uh, about the means of um, if we can't prevent transmission, reducing it, airborne transmission. What, from your studies and your expertise, is possible to do? Are there things we can do in terms of filtration of air or other things of that nature? What What would you say are steps that we might consider to mitigate airborne transmission of a swine virus? So anything that will remove particles from the air will help, right, to so to decrease airborne transmission. But some something that we do and it's been demonstrated is just by vaccination. We know that vaccinating animals decrease clinical signs, uh, uh, symptoms, um, uh, many times in the case of first virus, right? We don't prevent sometimes the animals to get uh, infectious, but uh, if it's not the same strain, but we diminish and decrease the amount of, um, of viruses in the air and day of positive virus in the air, and that's well um, demonstrated. So that will be a, a, a good mechanism to prevent airborne transmission as well. So vaccination would be one thing. I mentioned filtration of air. Do you th- I, I, I believe you've, you've taken a look at filtration systems, haven't you? Uh, I, do, you do you believe they're economic? Do you believe they're viable? Um, air, uh, air filtration, it's, it's, uh, it's a possibility and it's a great technology that has been implemented in, in many parts of the world successfully. It, it decreases the amount of, um, of outbreaks significantly. Um, uh, so uh, the, on the right condition, under the, the right situation, after uh, accounting for 
everything that you know you need to be taking care of in the farm uh, prior to install filters uh, it, it's a great technology um, the value of the animals inside uh, that needed to be protected and also if you are in a location high density when you know that airborne transmission is is a high uh, risk um, uh, the, the technology is there and is and is um, and is cost effective in in the specific situations but but it is very much you know something for a, a high value farm as a as a of the ultimate uh, action there are other actions in between that we could be taking uh, in, in terms of making sure that we are not uh, bringing the virus in yeah yeah yes yeah keeping it in and so on yeah. So I'm going to say, Dr. Alonso, many thanks indeed for your help with this uh, subject of airborne transmission. Uh, I've learned a lot from that. Uh, so I'm going to say also to our reader, uh, to our listeners and uh, those joining us today, thank you for joining us. Now, we are just running out of time. So one or two small points I would ask uh just to complete this, uh, we talked about mitigation on farm. I've been reading about ionization systems. This uh, uh, was something that's been tried in the past. Do, does it still have a place in terms of reducing this? And also, I'm going to ask you, how much is airborne transmission related to air quality within the swine building? So um, to your first question, Peter. Yeah, ionization. Yeah, <laughs> ionization. Yeah. Yes, we 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 try them, we test them at the at the University of Minnesota during my PhD, and and they are very efficient at removing dust from the air, like like just particles. So um, the 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 improvement that they've done on reducing the airborne transmission is by clearing the air. Um, on, on the other side, uh, there are many other uh, um, actions that we can take to remove particles from the air. That's uh, uh, we need to pay attention to the the the, fee, the the way we present feed to the animals, like mash uh, instead of pellets, or uh, so that will also help also uh, have the barns clean of dust. Um, you know, uh, clean them. Um, uh, frequently, so there are other uh, strategies that we said that um, they are they're efficient and and more affordable. Let's say that way. And right. to your and to your second question, yes. um, that uh, in, I can't remember air right now. Quality, <laughs> I, I said you know we'd be talking airborne transmission. How much okay. is it the same story as air quality in the barn? You know, particles are all about air quality, aren't they? Correct. Yes. So it's uh, uh, by by putting uh, the attention that it that it requires to uh, having a well ventilated farm and, and good air quality. What you're doing is removing the particles from the air that are the ones that viruses get attached to to get transmitted. So that's uh, that's that's a very clear point when you were having an outbreak of of uh, of an of. Uh, respiratory virus and we try to preserve them warm and we close the windows and we cl and, and we and we uh, close the blinds so so we prevent fresh air to move that air uh, so I try to explain that concept to producers so it's the other way around we try to ventilate 
better than no, better than never, and and uh, that's just by removing um, particles from the airspace where the animals are. At the start of our conversation, you talked about developing better sampling equipment, uh, and uh, I would like to know: Do you recommend routine sampling of? Uh, the particles in the airspace of a barn, of a swine barn, as part of your veterinary uh, monitoring of a, of a site. Do, do you think that routine sampling of the air is, uh, is a, a useful thing to be doing? Um, I think we have other methods to uh, monitor animals that are more um, that will give us more information that uh, air sampling uh, just understanding how viruses get excreted on an infectious animal we know that influenza we know about the birds so just by learning by knowing that animals are uh, positive or experiencing an outbreak and we we have good methods on uh, oral fluids or um, um, we now have a, a coughing index so that we can uh, match us with a specific uh, pa a pattern of coughs with a specific disease. So just knowing that the animals are positive on a specific disease, we, um, we, we know that particles will be in the air. So knowing the challenges of our sampling and, and how, um, how tricky it can get, right? Uh, I don't believe it's it's the method to routinely monitor our our animals. Oh. Dr. Alonso, I'm afraid we must finish there. I do uh, wish we could continue, but I think we we must stop. So thank you very much indeed. We've been talking to Dr. Carmen Alonso in Spain. Dr. Alonso is an independent veterinary consultant. Uh, also, we've heard now principal of Up North Analytics, a new company which is looking at the integration of production data and health data and uh, cough monitoring and other ways of monitoring the herd health situation. Dr. Alonso, many thanks for your help today. Dr. Uh, to uh, our listeners, thank you for joining us. Other podcasts in the series will be coming along, but for the moment, stay tuned. Goodbye.